You can now take KRBN Internet News Talk Radio with you on your mobile phone as we are making it easier to listen to the great hosts here on KRBN, including our very own West Lane County Commissioner, Jay Bozovich. It's free and available on Google Play. Just look for player.fm. That's player.fm and search for KRBN. Live from Lane County, Oregon, it's the Bose No Show with your host, West Lane County Commissioner, Jay Bozovich. And now, here's Jay. Hey, Robin, got an echo there. Something's open. Hey, Robin, got an echo there. It's open. Pick it your mic. Pick it your mic. Let's see if we can get this to work again. Let's see if we can get this to work again. And once again, everyone, once again, just remember this is run radio. Just remember, we are not run radio to do this show. Are you still getting echo? Uh, let's see. Uh, let's see. Yep. Yep. Coming back. Coming through, back through the line. Through the line. Robin Simmons. How about now? How about now? Still coming. Still coming. <laughs> Is that a commentary? <laughs> Now, just go ahead and start, and I'll do what I can here. I don't see anything open, but that doesn't mean that Windows isn't doing something. insane 
because the forest has changed over the last 100 years. First, we probably fought fires too much in some ways, and then we stopped all um, we stopped harvest in this area due to the spotted owl. We stopped thinning. We stopped removing dead trees because of you know environmentalists thought that was a bad idea. So the forests are now denser with more fuels than they've ever had. So unlike natural forest pre-man, and I should if, and I shouldn't even say pre-man pre modern man when we started harvesting wood in, in large quantities and managing forest in, in, in the landscape, landscape area. Um, uh, the Native Americans did Native some Americans did some fire for fire. Still got that bad echo, Robin. Still got that bad echo. <laughs> um, um, we really need to think about we really managing our forest. Think about going back to managing by fire. Going back to American by fire won't work until we get the forest back to a we get fuel level. A fuel level. We got to figure this out, Robin. I'm having we got to difficulty trying to. I'm having difficulty trying. Yeah, I'm doing the best I can, Jay. I'm, yeah. Not seeing anything, but I'm going through settings, and I know Skype is taking up a lot of uh, CPU time. So I'm seeing what I can do about it. Yeah, is it? Do you have an open mic somewhere? Yeah, is it? Do you have an open mic? No, all my mics are closed. All the other inputs are are null. Hmm. Hmm. Very odd. And Very I, odd. I doubt it's my. I doubt it's looking back on myself because. I've only got, only got one uh, one uh, open. open. Um, um, let me see. let me see if the speaker's down. I can't hear, I can't hear at all. Can you still hear me, Rob? Yeah, I can hear you. Does that make a difference? All right, that at least gets with the echo on my end, so I can't hear it. I don't know if it's going out over the broadcast or not. We'll try that. See if it works. Although I'm still seeing. The box light up like we're getting an echo, but I'm going to keep going with the program and just keep talking and hoping that people can understand. But the concept of mentioning by fire, one is one is difficult to do. Two, allowing fire on a landscape loss of natural doesn't doesn't work. It basically does create mega fire. Mega fires burn so hot. Sterilized. sterilized and and then there's no then there's no natural because proceeds in the soil, in the soil die die to the heat of the, the fire, fire. Um, uh, so, so you know you know not, not, not equal, 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 post, post, post a, post a less, less less higher, higher. Um, uh, yeah, just yeah, just um, so, um, so, so there needs to be some kind of transition and for the forest. And, and to fix with, with the Forest Service, service never, never ran this, ran this management by fire, fire that they, they are doing to through any sort of environmental process. I mean, they're doing, I mean, they're doing it and basically managing the forest by fire de facto with this with this backup and let things burn uh, mentality. But they've never run it through the National Environmental Protection Act process or written a resource management plan that includes fire as a management tool. So they need to back up. And we just need to really look at, you know, initial attack. And and the reason I'm so hot on this is I just am furious about the Cedar Creek fire. There is no excuse for that fire to be the size it is over 120,000 acres. It started in one tree and burned in a very small area for weeks. Forest Service basically brought in a crew that said, oh, we can't go down that ravine. It's too steep, so we can't fight it by hand. They brought a helicopter on site for one afternoon, and then the helicopter had mechanical issues, so they stopped doing any aerial attack. 
And I have no idea whether the helicopter dumped one time or three times that afternoon, but basically that was it for aerial attack. They just sat back and watched. And then they started building hand lines with hand crews, no mechanical means, way out around the perimeter of this tiny fire. And I challenge people to go to my Facebook page, my personal one, just Jay Bozovich, which I keep public so anyone can go look at what I post. And there's a post there of a video of a single engine air tanker, better known as a seat, dumping in a demonstration for a group of people that I was touring the Douglas um, protection area with uh, and doing a great job of dumping water on a very steep slope. Um, Imagine that. If they had asked BLM for the use of, the, of some of their seats, which they have several that, that BLM shares up in, in southwestern Oregon, and attacked that fire in the first day or two and, and put it out, maybe or at least never let it get out of hand, we wouldn't have suffered through months of problems here in Lane County, in Deschutes County. It's even affecting the air quality in Klamath and Lynn counties and Benton County. There's no excuse for what the U.S. Forest Service allowed to happen. Somebody needs to do an investigation. It's costing tens of millions of dollars. I haven't heard the most recent figure of what the firefighting's cost to date, but my guess is it's probably pushing over $100 million. Now, the Forest Service heads manage to go to Congress every year and say, look how much firefighting costs us. We have, to re we have to put money back into the fund for firefighting, or we won't have money to fight fire this coming summer. And you know, when they let fires get big, they cost a lot, and then they get to show Congress they need money. You wonder if there's some connection there, besides the fact that they're appeasing the environmentalists. Environmentalists like Oregon Wild, that's for, quote, natural fire and not fighting fire. And even today, there's a lawsuit about not using fire retardant when fighting fires from an environmental group. But, you know, Oregon Wild and, and some of these groups have all pushed for this kind of policy. And the U.S. Forest Service is letting it happen, and it kind of helps with their funding. So there has to be an investigation. Why did this fire get out of hand? Why wasn't it put out right away? It was in an area that is so close to, to communities. It is, as the crow flies, very close to Oak Ridge and the, and the High Prairie Road area that's outside of Oak Ridge is even closer where people live and farm. And ultimately, as it started to lose containment and there was the danger of east winds pushing it even, even further, we had to evacuate Oak Ridge and Westler. And while some of those people were evacuated, their houses were burglarized, adding insult to injury, let alone the fact that because they stopped cutting wood out of U.S. Forest Service forests, all the mills closed down in the Oak Ridge area, and it's had to convert to a tourism economy, mainly you know, mountain single trail, trail mountain biking. It's gotten to be very well known for that. How much mountain biking do you think happened with all that smoke up there? Their air quality has been between 300 and 600 for almost a month in Oak Ridge. How much business was lost? Because they couldn't put out a single tree. They couldn't call in enough air resources. They had a mechanical problem with a helicopter. We'll call in some more. There weren't any really large fires going or, or heavy demand on aircraft uh, at that time in Oregon in early August. They could have had this out. Evacuations, loss of business. Who knows how much harm to people's health this air quality has done. And in fact, it was so bad on Monday here, I could hardly work outside. And I'm pretty damn healthy. 
I had to come inside. I couldn't work out my yard and, and try and get ready. You know, I've got my house up for sale, try and keep my yard looking good. And as I'm outside for the brief period of time I was, I can hear the announcements of Elmira High School, which is, you know, just across the road from me, announcing that they were canceling the, the varsity girls soccer game and the boys game was being moved from being a home game to Sayuslaw High School in Florence to get away from the smoke and all the other practices for football, et cetera, were all either going to be held indoor or canceled. In Elmira, because of the Cedar Creek fire outside of Oak Ridge that the U.S. Forest Service couldn't put out when it was a single tree. Now, one of the things I want to connect the dots for you here is Chandra Legu wrote an editorial this weekend, a letter to the editor, supporting Don Leslie for county commissioner to replace my my position. Chandra is the senior conservation advocate for Oregon Wild. Chandra has also given money to Don Leslie for her campaign. We need a county commissioner who, like me, is put pressure on the Forest Service over their firefighting policies and is going to be talking to our federal representatives as your elected official to prevent this kind of idiocy. How much is this costing us? Besides the firefighting, which you know could have been stopped with you know maybe ten thousand dollars worth of aircraft time, is now you know pushing the hundred million mark probably, and just the firefighting. How much did it cost Lane County to evacuate Oak Ridge? How much did it cost the people and the businesses in, in Oak Ridge and Westburg? Casey's RV Park there in Westburg is one of the nicest RV parks in the state. You can back your RV up right to the river there. And it's just a gorgeous setting. You wonder how their business is done with all this smoke. Who wants to stay there? Don Leslie, supported by the same people that are pushing this whole idea of let it burn. So just imagine what she's going to advocate for as a county commissioner. You have a choice. Ryan Senega, who is supported by the timber industry <laughs> and understands firefighting. I mean, one of the things you'll notice is the number of Fire starts in most summers are kind of equal between Oregon Department of Forestry Protected Forest and U.S. Forest Service Forest in Western Oregon. But the number of acres burned is usually about 90% U.S. Forest Service and about 10% ODF protected. Why? Oregon Department of Forestry, who is in partnership with private, private lands, because they also protect private lands and the, the ONC BLM lands, has a philosophy of initial attack. Stop the fire when it's small. Very few fires get big on BLM and private land that are protected by the Oregon Department of Forestry. U.S. Forest Service, remember Chetco Bar? How about Beachy Creek and Lion's Head there in, in uh, Marion County? how that was allowed to smolder and burn forever and then blew up on Labor Day and burnt right down the Santiam Canyon into communities. How much do fires like that cost us? All of them are examples of small smoldering fires that were let alone by the U.S. Forest Service. This has got to change. There needs to be an investigation into the Cedar Creek fire. There needs to be pressure. Somebody needs to be held responsible. I mean, shoot, FEMA's requiring us to sue power companies to try and recover the cost of the Holiday Farm Fire. Who do we sue for the Cedar Creek Fire? Is the U.S. Forest Service going to reimburse some of those 
brew pub restaurants in Oak Ridge for the loss of business they've had this summer? Are they going to reimburse Lane County for what it cost us to have the Sheriff's Department evacuate? Is it going to reimburse the people for having their power shut off for a weekend? And the businesses had their power shut off for the weekend out there in, in that area. It just, we have to change Forest Service's philosophy on firefighting. And we have to change their philosophy on fuels reduction. They've got to have an aggressive fuels reduction before they start a fire management routine. Can't do one ahead of the other. You've got to reduce the fuels first before you can start managing with fire. And I would question managing with fire. They can manage with harvest, and we can get carbon-friendly wood to build with, or that mass timber that everyone understands is a great answer to not building with concrete and steel, which are highly high-carbon footprint materials, you know, but you know that's that's a whole different story that we got to get into. But I just want folks to connect the dots, though. Oregon Wild is supporting Don Leslie. Oregon Wild is pushing the let it burn you know, philosophies that U.S. Forest Service has succumbed to. Cedar Creek Fire is an example of what happens when you let it burn. All those impacts, all the events that were canceled, all the business that was lost, all the people that were disrupted by evacuations and people that might have had their homes robbed, people that had their power cut off, all the people with asthma that have suffered over this last month from the smoke. All of that is because U.S. Forest Service did not do aggressive initial attack on this fire because they succumbed to people like Oregon Wild who support candidates like Don Leslie for the Cedar Creek Fire. Somebody's head should roll at the Forest Service. Somebody way up on the line needs to have their heads roll. How much carbon is being released in the atmosphere for everyone that's worried about carbon causing global warming? climate change or climate chaos, however you want to call it. And kind of letting things blow up and burn like this kind of just, you know, allows people to point to that and go, look, look, see, it's climate chaos. No, it's not. It's bad management. (sighs) I'm going to calm down for a minute here. I think I've got our echo problem under control. Um. Sounds like it's under control. Yep, I'm not hearing an echo anymore. Ah, Great, which means I'm gonna stop and pause, take a deep breath and remind folks this is a call-in program. And we have a call-in number, 646-721-9887. And just press one if you wanna get in on the conversation. Again, that's 646-721-9887. Press one, because that lets Robin, my call screener and producer extraordinaire, know you want to get in on the conversation. And I, you know, I just want to thank Robin because I know she's tired. I know things were a little bit crazy at the beginning of this program. She got caught in a, another one of those traffic jams on Beltline. Um, speaking of, we'll get, to, we'll get to, to roads and widening and stuff like that in just a minute because that's one of the next topics I want to hit. But, uh, you know, she, so she, had to run in and quickly get the show on the air because she was pretty late getting it home. And and, um, Robin doesn't get paid for this. Robin does this because she likes me and supports me and we kind of have fun doing it too. (laughs) So, um, yeah, kudos to Robin, my producer, um, struggling with, you know, new job, changes and commutes and all that stuff. And then then there's an accident on Beltline. and I imagine that maybe some of you listening might even be, you know, in that in that mess. Um, so, uh, you know, just 
glad you guys had a little patience. You're hanging with us. I do want to talk about roads a little bit because I haven't been on the air since I had my um, Highway 126 meeting with ODOT out here in Benita where they presented on the project between Eugene and Benita to improve that to four lanes. And at the same time, talked a little bit about safety improvements along the whole length of Highway 126 West for all the way to the coast. Um, and address things like what it takes to have a safety corridor, which some people don't quite understand that just asking to have a safety corridor doesn't get you a safety corridor. There has to be certain conditions that have to be met. And then there's about 50 other segments of road that have, have been requested to be safety corridors that have already met those three um, screening conditions um, that you're competing with around the area. Um, in Western Oregon. So we'd be, if we got a segment of, of Highway 126, you know, through those first three gates, um, we'd still be number 51 <laughs> of, of being designated. Um, but, you know, one of the things people didn't understand was you first have to demonstrate your accident rate um, is 150% higher than the statewide average for similar roads. And, and some people thought we're, you know, that the ODOT official was saying that their accident rates weren't high, weren't high enough or, you know, whatever. It's not necessarily that. It's just a, it's one of the screening things. The other portion that's really um, difficult to get in Lane County is there has to be a commitment from somebody other than the Oregon State Police to have enhanced traffic patrols on that segment. Now, I've talked on other episodes of the Bozno Show about the crisis in public safety funding right now. And everyone understands that if you call the Lane County Sheriff's Office, it may be 45 minutes to an hour before a deputy will show up. We can't make that commitment in Lane County to be that agency that patrols the safety corridor. I just can't commit to writing traffic tickets when it takes 45 minutes to get to a domestic violence incident. So we always fail on that one criteria. And, and that I'm, I wish it wasn't that way and I wish it was gonna change sometime soon, maybe we elect Ryan Seneca and the board pushes hard enough, we'll start cutting some timber in ONC lands and the money will be there to fund an adequate patrol system where we can make that commitment to a safety corridor. But what we are trying to do, and it will take years to finish the projects, is to make the highway facilities safer between Eugene and Benito. One of the big issues there is there's a lot of rear-end accidents where people stop to make a left turn because there's no left turn lanes into some of the driveways and stuff along there, and even some of the roads. There's a lot of uh, T-bone accidents from people turning across traffic because there's not spacing up. And there's a lot of head-ons due to the fact that there's no centerline divider and people are distracted or driving under the influence Lane departure accidents are, are, when it comes to the you know, severe injury and deaths, that's the biggest issue is those T-bones and lane departures quite often head-ons. The rear-enders are usually not our severe injury accidents unless they push somebody into the oncoming traffic, which has happened before. Um, so the real issue is we need to get that centerline divider, you know, that's the big safety thing. Can't do it on a two-lane roadway because how does an emergency vehicle get down the road with lights and sirens? If there's no place for the people to pull off and, and they can't they can't ride the center line, they ain't getting to the emergency. So um, you need to widen the road first before you can put that divider in. So there's a the plan is to make it four lanes between Eugene and Benito and put that center line divider in. That will cure 
a major issue. Besides the fact that it will eliminate people passing it, you know, unsafe ways in a lot of a lot of times, it will eliminate that head-on issue and that lane departure into oncoming traffic. To eliminate some of the issues around T-bones and rear-ending, traffic circles are planned. And I know people go bonkers over the idea of roundabouts, um, but every statistical study I've seen of pre-roundabout with a traffic light versus converting a traffic light to a roundabout shows that rear-end accidents drop, T-bone accidents are virtually eliminated, and it just makes the intersection safer. Now, the one thing that is difficult is in an urban setting, they're very, they have a bigger footprint, so they're hard to put in without you know, impacting businesses and homes. And then you get a lot of pedestrians too. Combination of pedestrian bike traffic and, and the vehicles navigating around about sometimes isn't as effective. Rural highways, though, and I've, I've experienced this in the UK, and I've experienced it in other areas. There's a traffic circle just outside of Sisters on Highway 20. They seem to work pretty well there, those kinds of settings. What they eliminate is there's no left turning at all. Everything's a right turn. Right turn onto the traffic circle, right turn off. So that left turn T-bone possibilities are eliminated. People slow coming into those to navigate the curvatures, so that tends to mean that there's not as many rear-enders. They, they're usually posted well back, um, you know, circle coming up and all that good stuff. Um, it just, and it keeps traffic flowing. They so don't come to a full stop like a traffic light. Just seems to work out in, in these rural highway situations. So that's the plan, is four lanes with some of these traffic circles, um, and hopefully it'll work. Now, one of the things we're finding out is there's this push by, wait for it, environmental groups against any sort of additional lanes for any road. They don't want more roadway width. They think expanding lanes is bad, period. And it's all you know about climate change and, and environmental impact, or whatever. I don't know what they're trying to, to, to go after with that. But there are groups in town and, and activists that have actually stated out loud that they oppose widening the belt line at the Willamette River and they oppose making Highway 126 four lanes. Guess which county commissioner candidate those activists support? Don Leslie. Ding, 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 ding. Yep, you're right. Um, no, they don't support Ryan. <laughs> but are you seeing a pattern here? We can't fight fire because of environmentalist pressure, and then we end up with impacts like the Cedar Creek fire. Everybody knows we need to widen 126 and Beltline, but we can't do that because we're catering to personal vehicles instead of forcing people onto mass transit. In fact, they want to take away traffic lanes like the moving ahead proposal for River Road and convert them to bus lanes. And we saw Claire Cyrus get recalled over that issue. But that same activist mentality that thinks cars are bad, everybody should be on a bus, are tied to Don Leslie. Because let's take a look at this. Claire Syrett. Contributed to Don's campaign. Don contributed to Claire's effort to try and fight the recall. There are photographs of them together. They're buddy buddy. So if you like the idea of 
bus lanes on River Road, no widening of the belt line over the Lamette River, and no widening of 126, then I guess you can vote for Dawn. Hmm, I'm seeming to come up with a theme for this show. Pay attention to who's supporting candidates. Sometimes it's not about the ads they're running and, and, and you know, what they say and, and, and being concerned about, you know, this, that, and the other thing and claiming they're going to be do this and they'll open an office in Florence or something like that. Don't be fooled. Pay attention to who's writing checks to their campaigns, who's endorsing. And what you're seeing is a lot of folks are supporting Don Leslie that don't want roads widened, don't want to fight fires, don't want anyone really building much. He's also being supported by folks that are part of Land Watch Lane County. That's the folks that that appeal just about every sort of attempt to develop property in Lane County. They've cost people tens of thousands of dollars in process and delays, costing us housing stock. So anti-housing, anti, you know, good traffic management, anti-good forest management, all ties together. On the other hand, you know, Ryan understands we need to widen roads. Ryan gets good forest management because all those folks that, that participate in, and pay ODF to protect their lands and do high, you know, early initial attack, they're writing checks to Ryan. Home builders and, and some of that building community, they're writing checks to Ryan. Businesses are writing checks to Ryan. Public employee unions, they're writing checks to Dawn. Yep. Yeah. And uh, Robin was reminding me that people are still having permit issues out in Vida and Blue River and other places after the Holiday Farm fire. And, you know, part of that's because there's been so much influence by anti-development people in our planning department. Don't get me started about, you know, planning and, and, and zoning issues and, and the schools that are graduating people that get hired by planning departments that are making, you know, they get hired with this thought that, the only good constructions in a downtown area that's that's high rise and served by mass transit. And if you want to do anything else, they're against it more or less. So they they kind of start out the permit departments of, of I don't really want to do this, but the rules say I have to give you this permit. But if I can find a way, the rules say they I can't give you that I can deny this permit. I'm going to find it. That has to change. It has to change from the top with your elected officials, and they have to push about that. And I was slowly pushing the needle that direction in the eight years I you know, had, had a majority with. Four years since I've lost that majority, the pendulum has really swung the other way. So if you think we need more housing, think we need to fight fires, not let them burn, and you think we need some improvements on Beltline and Highway 126, vote for Ryan Seneca. So I got a couple other things I want to talk about. But again, I want to pause. And if anyone wants to argue with me about fire management, et cetera, you know, maybe you know, has, has a contrary position or argue with me about Highway 126 and Beltline being widened, 646-721-9887 and just press one. Again, 646-721-9887. Don't forget to press one so Robin knows you want to talk because we do have people that call in just to listen. So changing gears a little bit, the board, approved 
the um, increases in the transient lodging tax and car rental tax a couple weeks ago. I hadn't got to talk about that too much yet. And basically, even the, the, the lodging industry agreed with increasing the tax, the argument's going to be about how we use that extra revenue. The lodging industry sees a need to try and prove some of our tourism facilities or, or facilities that attract tourists to help their industry. And where they really see the need is in the wintertime. Because frankly, when it's raining here and cold in Oregon and foggy and whatever else, we're not a high you know, destination on a lot of people's minds. But if we had a reason for people to come here in the winter, yeah, they might actually get over to Florence and realize it's kind of cool to be there in the wintertime. If it is raining and storming, it's sure fun to go, you know, the, the watch the, the waves and, and storm watch and all that stuff. And if it's foggy in the valley, it is usually drop-dead gorgeous in Florence. Those are the, the chamber of commerce days in Florence. And when I love to get over there is when it's foggy in the valley. Because that usually means very little wind and sunshine in Florence. 60 degrees when it's 45 in the valley. So that's what they're looking for. But we've got a lot of pull because there's this thing called the M's baseball team. And I like the M's. I went to Civic Stadium before it burnt down. And um, I've even been to PK Park and, and watched them there. But Major League Baseball is threatening to yank their, their ticket and pull them out of here because they don't have a stadium that qualifies for long season single-A ball because every as you move up, you need more facility. In particular, um, because of the amount of women now involved in baseball, either as umpires, even coaches and, and staff, they want, you know, women's locker room facilities um, and, and various other things that, that PK Park doesn't have. Um, so they need a new stadium. We could use transient room taxes and car rental taxes to support building a stadium, and we have property available at the Lane Event Center, where it would also get utilized for other events, like concerts and, who knows, rodeos, whatever. They, you know, it's amazing what they can do. They can throw tarts and stuff down and bring dirt in and have it hauled back out in like less than 24 hours. Um, but is that the best use of that money? When is it going to draw crowds? When is, is it going to draw enough crowds to, to pay for itself ultimately in transient room tax income? And is that going to really be a benefit to the entire county or just Eugene? Um, questions like that have come up. The competing project that's being put forward is to do an indoor track and also for other events, multi-use facility with a hydraulically banked track so it could retract down into the floor and become flat. And then that space that's big enough for an indoor track actually fits like four basketball courts side by side, like eight volleyball courts, and like two dozen pickleball courts or something like that, that can be set up for doing, you know, just games and practices in that facility and tournaments, you know, so it, and tournaments attract people from out of town. And because it's an indoor facility, it's usually winter sports that get played in it. Are you starting to see the connection of why the, the lodging industry kind of likes this proposal? It attracts room stays in the wintertime. And hopefully maybe some of those people that come here for some large tournament or indoor track meet at, you know, that maybe if it could get associated with the U of O or something, um, might travel to Florence for a day or two, spend an extra couple days here in Oregon, as long as they came here from somewhere else. 
problem is, is that proposal is not as far along in the planning process as the stadium. And there isn't, as, you know, there's no team that's going to leave Eugene and Lane County if we don't build an indoor track facility. Now, mind you, there's a lot of tournaments that are being held in other cities that people from Eugene are having to travel to because there is no facility like that here in Lane County. So those are two of the competing demands on this transient lodging tax. And there's kind of a third one that's, you know, kind of in the background there is, is our current um, convention center is not large enough to compete in the marketplace it should be competing with for a city our size. Doesn't have a grand ballroom big enough, doesn't seat enough people. And the facility is kind of getting aging and, and there's some other issues there. Um, so there either needs to be expansion and rehab of the existing convention center or a new convention center being built. Again, that's a whole different business and everything. What I'm looking for as I'm trying to make decisions about this is I'm looking for something that doesn't shut down the possibility of doing any of those three things by over-investing in a single one of these projects. I'm also looking for what's the return on investment? I can dig up five to ten different articles on what a bad investment stadiums are for cities and, and public entities, and how much money has been lost to those towns because they don't really get the payback that was promised at the time they were constructed. I have the same concerns about building a baseball stadium and multi-use multi baseball stadium. I haven't seen a lot of studies and articles about indoor track facilities. So I haven't, I can't tell you whether they pay off or not. I do know there's a demand for those kinds of facilities in our community. Well beyond the demand for a baseball facility. The, the, you know, the amount of, of indoor space available for volleyball, basketball, pickleball, you name it, um, just isn't there let alone there's really not indoor track facility in track town USA. Um, conventions, changing business. Right now, Facebook Live, you're seeing me in real time. Zoom, all that good stuff has really changed the convention business. But there's nothing like meeting people in person, doing that networking in person. What happens at the restaurants and bars around those convention centers in the evenings to make connections with people and, and, and develop relationships that you don't get in a Zoom convention. So there'll still be a place for them, but is it as big a market as it used to be? I don't know. All these are questions as we try and make these decisions on a timeline. Because the one thing that's that's chugging ahead is Major League Baseball has, has basically put the ends on a timeline where if they're not breaking ground by next spring or so on a stadium to be ready to be occupied, you know, they're, they're just, they're going to yank the ends out of Eugene and put them in another city. Which city? I don't know. It'd be sad. And it would have impact, but you know the question is: is is it worth tying up almost all that increase, or maybe even need having a funding gap? Because I'm, you know, if this is an eighty million dollar facility, that increase is not going to fund it. There's going to have to be something else that comes in. So this is a tough one coming up for us, and I would love. Everybody's input on this. I, I had an email today, and somebody sent me some you know, links for articles. And I, you know, it was an email to the entire board. But I emailed the guy back, said thank you for the links. 
because I will read everything I can before I vote one way or the other on this decision. So if you have something you want me to look at, some, you know, advocacy one way or the other, you know, I would suggest emailing the entire Board of Commissioners so we all see it. I will, I will look at the links, read articles, and try and, and do my best to make the best decision the future of Lane County. Because I have some, you know, my natural libertarian side of me doesn't like the idea of public entities building facilities for private businesses. And the M's are a private business owned by a millionaire, family that has millions. So, you know, there's that question of using tax dollars, all the transient room taxes, which are generally paid from people outside of Lane County, but not necessarily because when I go stay at Casey's up in Westburg, or if I go stay at Darling's in, in Dune City, I pay a transient lodging tax on top of my RV fee because campgrounds are included in transient lodging taxes. Some people may not realize that. If you stay in a, you know, at Driftwood Shores, you're paying Lane County transient lodging taxes. And in fact, a lot of vacation rentals do too. So that's just one of those things that happens if you're, if you're staying overnight in Lane County, not in your house and paying for it, you're probably paying transient lodging taxes. So it's not completely a visitor's tax. So that tax money needs to be invested well, needs to be looked at carefully that we're not subsidizing some millionaire's business so he makes more money at the cost, you know, that there has to be enough return on investment to the local community and economic activity and increased taxes to make that subsidy worth it. So I will be looking long and hard at this decision, and I hope all of you will provide me input that are interested in that. So I just want to make sure I've covered all my topics today. I'm trying to get into where I have my topics up, which unfortunately scrolled away from me. Um, oh, I know what I want. There are two other things I just I have to cover before I get, get off the air here, because I only got about six minutes left. I have to mention prescription vegetables. <laughs> and you're like, what? Prescription vegetables? What are they? Do they have drugs in them or something like that? Inject no, 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 no. The state of Oregon has gotten what's called a one section 1115 waiver from um, feds on our Medicaid program, which is the Oregon Health Plan to try and work on what they call the social determinants of health. And you know, one of those determinants of health is nutrition. So they are actually gonna be able to write a prescription and then fund the purchase of fruits and vegetables, basically, to try and improve somebody's diet. Because that is a social determinant of health. Not to mention they're going to also start paying for housing in this because that's a social determinant of health. Um, it gets to that whole thing I've talked about before, which is we have to stop having a program that was intended to pay for one item, start paying for things that are covered by other programs. Because what that does is mix our muddy the waters and make it so you can't ask, you know, the federal government, how much are you spending on food subsidies? Well, you might be able to look at food stamps and they can tell you how much food stamps is costing, but they're not going to be able to tell you how much or federal money Oregon's spending on prescribing vegetables under Medicaid because it won't show up. 
And it won't, you know, if you ask them how much they're spending on housing, HUD might be able to talk about how much Section 8 vouchers are costing the taxpayers and how much this program's costing. But if Medicaid's paying for housing, it won't show up. And they do this all the time where they spread the mission, the dollars, and you think Medicaid's all being spent on medical care. But they start spending it on other stuff. And then they go, we don't have enough money because we can't provide good medical care. Well, we're buying vegetables with it and paying rent. We have to stop this scope creep of programs. Which leads me to one other thing. And I want to just ask this simple question. A right. You know, everybody talks about, oh, we've got to protect our rights. My question is, what is a right? The problem is a lot of people that know that people need things think needs are rights. But really carefully, I want to explain to you how I define rights. First of all, rights are only held by the individual. Generally, groups can't hold a right. The individuals of a group hold a right, not a group. And you're born with those rights. That's why it's an individual. Groups aren't born. Individuals are born. Inalienable rights that you're born with. Which means if you're born with them, Nobody had to do anything to give them to you. Nobody has to do anything to allow for you to have free speech. They can take that away from you, but it doesn't cost anybody else's time or treasure, money, property. Excuse me, I've got a really bad throat tickle going. But no one has to do anything for you to have speech. No one has to do anything for you to have freedom of religion or your choice not to have religion. That you, you're born with that ability to make that choice. No one has to do anything for you to have a right to defend yourself. Now, there's a measure coming on the ballot and people if healthcare is a human right. And I've heard other people propose that housing is a human right. Somebody has to give you something for those things to be true. You're not born with healthcare. You're not born with housing. Somebody has to provide that for you. Usually it's your parents after you're born. And ultimately, you hold the responsibility for a lot of that. I'm paying the mortgage on this house. I have the job that provides my health care and pay for that in lower salary, benefits versus salary, part of my compensation. So, but in order for me to have those, if I was just had a right to them, I'd be demanding somebody else's time and treasure. I'd be demanding some doctor or nurse provide their time and expertise. And I will be, um, you know, demanding somebody's funds. Who's paying that doctor? Who's paying for that house? They're not rights, they're needs. And needs are not a right. So just know this, only individuals have rights. And rights are something that you're born with, and no one has to provide their time and treasure for you to enjoy that. So with that, I think I'm just about out of time here on the Bose Nose Show. Um, thank you for listening at our new time. We'll be back next week at 5 o'clock. Coming to you live from beautiful downtown Elmira, 
have a great week.